Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for coming to see us. Wow, what a nice turnout for a Saturday afternoon. Happy New Year to you all. So great to see you. I hope nobody was annoyed that we were closed for, but the store was so beat up after last year, I can't tell you. So um, the painters are coming Monday and we're really going to try to get our act together. But anyway, and we took inventory and it's astonishing what we found. <laughs> I'm serious, you know, I mean, if, there are things that get squirreled away and you know we were all going oh look at that so we're going to have some new things to show off in any case um jen mckinley is joining us today with her we thought the end of the series had come but somehow or other <laughs> miraculously the hat shop mr are back i think that's so wonderful and one of the things that's so fun is they're in london um and so i'm going to be swapping with john charles who is um our general conversationalist, but and also our baker. And if you have noticed that we have some superb treats as ever from John. Hi. And if you have numbers, did everybody who bought a book get a number up front? Pat was handing them out if you bought your book. If you didn't, you might want to get one because we actually have. Do you have the prize somewhere? Okay, you want to. Um, we have a really beautiful prize. Jacob, who's doing the sound, his mother does really interesting work in wood and um, made this beautiful like bread and cheese board. Oh. So I'm giving it away today. I'm sacrificing it because I can get another <laughs> one. <laughs> but anyway, if you have a number, then um, then John and, and Jen will do a drawing for it. Um, right, it's, it's the illegal lottery that we run here at the Poison <laughs> Pen. I figured the IRS can't even audit Trump, so they're not going to ever catch me. So we're probably okay. I think we're I know. I don't even want to talk about the spectacle of this week. You know, I mean, if we all look like idiots all over the world, it's really unbelievable. Well, next week, uh, Britain will probably have another prime minister, so we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Good thought. This, everybody disintegrates. Well, all right. So um, one of the things I want to talk to Jen about um, is the food, because this is London. And I noticed that many places in the book you are talking about food that is basically indigenous to mm -hmm. London, right? Oh, yes. So did you force yourself to eat your way through the city in order to do this? <laughs> I did. When I was back there, I tried to stick to, you know, all the uh, traditional. So it's, you know, bangers and mash and fish and chips. And my favorite was uh, we had a pub when we stayed. We stayed in the Kensington area. It was the Swan. And it was the, uh, like an original coach house from hundreds of years ago. And now it's a pub and everybody knew everybody and it was fabulous. But they made a Yorkshire pudding mm. and then they put Guinness, you know, beef stew in it. So, yeah. Yeah, I ate my way through London. <laughs> they have such strange names for food, particularly puddings. You know, some of them are sort of obscene or slightly uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. But um, anyway, I thought you did a great job. So if you all are interested in British food, you will have an opportunity to... Um, explore that. But one of the lines, we're way at the back of the book, but this is not a spoiler that I particularly liked, um, is that reader guy. Tell me about reader guy, because then I'm going to have a little little quote here, because I, I was totally caught by these few paragraphs about reader guy. Who is he? Oh, is this for the, the next book coming out? Is this the advance? It probably is. Excerpt from summer yeah. reading. Oh, in May, I have a my next women's fiction rom-com coming out, and it's called Summer Reading. Um, because the male protagonist in it is a librarian. But he um, is on the ferry headed from Woods Hole to Martha's Vineyard, and he meets our heroine, who is dyslexic. 
so books are not really her thing. So of course their meet cute involves an incident with Reader Guy, or as she calls him, Hot Reader Guy, um, and his book that he's reading on the ferry. Oops. And then she finds out he's the director of the public library. So they are not what you would call a natural fit. So it was a lot of fun to write. I can see that. And um, Stephen King, you want to read this? <laughs> I think it's so funny. Just that one paragraph I thought was hilarious. It's over on the left-hand page, the, like the third one down, right? See where it says Stephen King and then she... Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Reader guy leaned an elbow on the railing. Now I had his attention. When you do have time, what do you like to read? He asked. Uh-oh. I hadn't really thought the natural conversational trajectory through. Shit. <laughs> I scanned my brain for the title of a book. Any book. Stephen King, I said. One does not grow up in New England and not know the king. Big fan, huge. Not a lie, because I'd watched all the movies repeatedly. <laughs> so you like the scary stuff, he asked, like Stephen Graham Jones, Riley Sager, and Simone St. James. The heat of the sun, the, the heat of the sun beat down on my head. Why was it suddenly so hot out here? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I like the selection of authors that, that you had there. I think when you're a librarian or a former librarian but a book lover, one of the best parts for me about all the series is I can always work in readers and the things that they love. And I, I kind of look at it like if I think I would love to say to those authors, if I mentioned you, I like you. <laughs> so we actually said we were going to have the best hat context but I see only one person in the audience. <laughs> Which is a lovely hat, by the way. Very yeah. nice. Who is going to be eligible to win. So I have an extra prize for you that I will. Ooh. Oh, right. Hey, Paige, there you are. I was looking to see if you had a hat, but no. <laughs> um, and for those of you who were here in December for Paige's book launch, Paige um, being in the back there, um, and she has a book out in April, but Kate Carlisle is still not doing well from COVID, which is why she could not come to join us in December. Yeah. But she has a book out May 2nd, and she said that she's planning to come for that. So um, for those of you who ordered a book or whatever, we can ship her books now, or you can just wait till May 2nd since she doesn't have a new book out. Um, we'll talk to you about that. But I didn't want you to think that Kate had completely disappeared. <laughs> she has not. Anyway, um, what is what what happened to the hat shop book? Because I distinctly remember you saying that yeah. there weren't going to be any more. Um, it was a, they went through that publipocalypse kind of where they weeded out cozy mystery authors. It looks like we're going through that again, just FYI. Um, and I had three series, and they were just kind of like, "Oh, honey, you have too many, so we're gonna just lose the hat shop." And I was like. So I can't go to London for <laughs> um, And then a year or so went by and, you know, things settle and I started writing romance and was keeping up with the cupcake in the library. And then I had this little window of opportunity and I thought, you know, we ended the last hat shop in Paris and it just feels wrong. Can I just write one more? And they said, sure. So that was uh, Buried to the Brim. And then I thought that was it. You know, and then I looked at my schedule and it was like, you know, <laughs> what window of opportunity? How about we write another one? And I went, okay. So it's like, and I think probably there might be another hat shop, but it'll probably, it might be the series that comes out every two years because it's where, when it's wherever you have a window yeah, of opportunity, a right? And an idea that's kind of like I've killed off a lot of people, so it's getting tricky, you know. 
Well, I really love the title of this, Fatal Fascinator, because any of you who spend any time on Pinterest or anywhere else watching the royal family or any of that will realize that hats are the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. And the more, have we ever seen Kate Middleton without a hat in public? I don't think so. I don't think I'm so. not sure we have. No, it's a thing. Wearing a hat is, it's, you know. Um, interestingly, with fascinators, they've been um, banned from Ascot, from the the royal enclosure at Ascot, no fascinators. Was that because they got so big and so whatever nobody could see? I think, well, this is, I think, King Charles, which is so weird to say. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think he might reverse it, but it was Queen Elizabeth. She just did not feel that they were appropriate for Ascot. She wanted, she wanted bigger, I think, because, you know, fasteners. Right. Well, I mean, she obviously had fabulous hats and coordinated. I mean, when you think of her, don't you see her in some astonishing color? Mm -hmm. All completely, you know, yeah. color coordinated and always with her purse and, <laughs> and, and like a, you know, sort of a canopy of dogs moving around in front of her. I now have my own personal canopy of dogs, so I now understand we, we have two cavapoos and I don't, at home, we can't move without, without them. So I sort of understand That's how right, the clergy sure. thing oh, went. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So anyway, um, I'm going to go and return more books. Sorry, but that's the way the bookstore works. And hand this <laughs> over to John, who will more intelligent commentary than I, if I can get this off. Here we go. Yay. Thank you. What I really needed was just to sit down for a minute. <laughs> so, Inventory will not wait. It will. Thank you all very much for coming, and um, I'll see you in a bit. All right. Bye. Good to see you, Barbara. Damp. Tagging in, tagging out. <laughs> Somewhere on the internet, people are wondering what's happening. I know. They're like, what's going on? We'll wait till we bring in the third person. There you go. <laughs> That's Paige. Yeah, um, Paige will be up in a minute. Let's go back a little bit and start with the origins of the series. Okay. Every series has some kind of hook, whether it's libraries or cooking or art. Why hats? I know. London Hat Shop is a little out there. You know, it's yeah. not your knitting, baking. It's a very yeah. narrow readership. Yeah, 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 I think I own it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Millinery and murder, it's all mine. Um, uh, it was, gosh, I don't even know how many years ago. A while. But um, mm. I remember, I basically, I remember watching um, Will and Kate get married. And I stayed up, you know, I was probably working. <laughs> Another mystery. But I stayed up watching, and I, how many of you watched? Okay, no. good. I'm not alone. Um, uh, and Princess Beatrice came out in that hat, and the internet just blew up, and everybody was super mean. And for those of you who didn't see it, it was a fascinator, yeah. and it was like, in front and center and it was like a beigey peach color and then it had these things coming off of it as they do it looked like a dead squid i mean not to be mean and and you know and the internet responded accordingly <laughs> um she's lovely but that not the best pick so as i was watching the internet kind of explode on her and the hat my first thought was of course wow wow it's it's a pretty bad hat and oof they're being awfully mean and wow if i was her i'd want to murder the guy who made that hat <laughs> ding <laughs> so luckily my editor who you know mm -hmm. is a kate middleton fan and her name's also kate and it was like the middle of the night and i'm like i have an idea <laughs> she just wrote back yes Yes, yes. So it just, it was kind of like a perfect timing thing. And for me, it was really interesting because um, 
I loved Princess Diana. Um, she got married when I was like in middle school. So, you know, growing up, you watched that. And she mm -hmm. was just lovely and beautiful. And I, I haven't really been locked in on the royals since she passed because kind of broke me. But um, it was my opportunity to kind of learn about hats and, and royal customs and British customs. And so it's been a really fascinating book to write. You know, it's, I always think of America and Britain. It's like two countries separated by the same language, mm -hmm. you know, because <laughs> there's just certain things you can't say over there that we drop and vice versa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, it was kind of a fascinating series to write. And I went all in. So you were not a hat person before. Not really. In your own life. No, baseball hats. I mean, I love looking at the pictures of Jackie O and the pillbox hat. You know, mm -hmm. man, she could rock a pillbox hat, you know. But it really ended after that. It was the 70s and it was the, you know, long hair parted in the middle and the hats were like gone, you know. So it's, it's really the 50s and 60s we kind of. And I was reading up on it the other day, actually, because um, I forget why. <laughs> I have, I'm not writing a hat shop. But they were talking about. Oh, oops, sorry. Um, the, after the Depression, really, in America, hats stopped because mm -hmm. it was just a not affordable luxury. Yeah. So between the Depression and the World Wars, hats just became, and we kind of let it go. But interestingly enough, they had, I mean, they got bombed way more than we did, and yet the British still wear hats to, you know, um, weddings, funerals. No. We're unruly. No culture. We are unruly. Yeah. We are. We are. And we like our hair. <laughs> <laughs> So what kinds, I mean, did you actually visit hat makers? What kinds of research is involved? I, did, I uh, stayed in um, Notting Hill because that's where the books are set. And, you know, went to Portobello Market because that's where the shop is on Portobello Road. And I found a couple of hat makers that were very gracious and let me come in and visit them. And one of them was in Kensington and did um, make hats for the royal family. Mm. And they were amazing. I mean... Hopefully they're not watching, but you know, it's, it's like a thing and then it has like chopsticks on it and it went for 600 pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like 1200 American. So it was just kind of like, but it's the name recognition. It's yeah. Like, she was a designer. It's like modern designer. art. You yeah, look at they three really splotches of red paint. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine losing your hat that costs 600 pounds? <laughs> well, if you can afford a hat that costs 600 pounds, you don't care if you lose it. <laughs> Sure, they're probably paying you to wear it. Yeah. yeah. So, no, it was fascinating, but they were very nice. And it is, I mean, it is an industry. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. So, yeah, I've enjoyed learning a lot. Tell us about a little bit about the new book. What's the elevator pitch? The elevator pitch is, well, it's, it's Scarlet. You know, people always ask you who are your favorite characters, characters that you write. And I, I would never admit it to the others, but it's Scarlet. <laughs> <laughs> she's just me but cooler and cuter and you know all that but just kind of that enthusiasm that love of people that kind of like that i'm definitely an extrovert which is kind of a freak thing in writer land There's just kind of the golden of retriever yeah totally i am i am you are. i remember i was this is off topic because we're gonna just where mm -hmm. we're going um i was working at the library and it was one of those nights where it was just the staff and everybody was sitting there thinking about what kind of dog we were <laughs> As you do in the library at 8.30 after a long day. And everybody was very, you know, pretty much spot on with their personality. Like we had the guy who was the lab, you know what I mean? And then we had the, the one other person who was definitely a terrier. 
And I thought I was like a poodle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I had a standard poodle at the time, and I was like, oh, I'm like her, because she was very, like, she would sit in the passenger seat with my husband, you know, like being, like she was being chauffeured, and she was great. And I loved her, and I thought, yeah, I'm totally her. And my friends all looked at me like, <laughs> do you even know you? <laughs> and it was, yeah, you're a golden retriever. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, they're cool. <laughs> so, anyway, where were we? You were telling us the elevator pitch for Fatal Fascinator. Oh, so Fatal Fascinator, um, I had a little window of time, and I really wanted to kind of get out of London. Like, first it was, well, we ended it in Paris, and I want to get back to London, and this time I was like, I want to get out of London and go to the south. So we went down to Sussex, and I got to do uh, research on castles you know, Moat and Bailey and, and like how they form and, and that's fascinating. There's like over 4,000 castles, you know, ruins and such. And I think there's 800 that are actually navigable in Britain. So, I mean, we how many do we have in the States? <laughs> I think there's one in Arizona. Yeah, there's yeah. one on the, the Camelback, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than like vanity castles, that's what we have. <laughs> And they probably were for them, too. But um, So it was just interesting. So I wanted to get into a castle. I wanted to have a ghost, because I love ghosts. And I wanted to um, kind of be in the wedding world in Britain, because they get very into their hen parties, which is like our bachelorette parties. And, you know, so it was just kind of fun to compare and contrast the customs. Do you have to change? I mean, when your books go to England, do you have to change things to fit their cultural references? Sometimes, it depends, and, and uh, when I started the series, in my mind, it was a millinery shop on Portobello Road, and they were British, mm. and then I sat down to write it, and I was like, oh, girl, you are not <laughs> British, <laughs> because I think some people you can't, like, when you read a British author who writes an American character, yeah. and they'll slip up, they'll say something like, she was pushing the pram, and it's like, mm. yeah, that's, that's a stroller, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how, and I knew I would reveal myself, like, on page one, <laughs> So I write it mostly from Scarlett's perspective. I think it's the only series I write in first person. Because then you're just always well, other in her than your head. rom-coms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah and actually I'm, the one I'm writing right now, To Be Read, is set in Ireland. And um, same thing. Mm -hmm. It's an American in Ireland. Because that way if you mess it up, it's from her perspective. And she's an idiot, so it's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? What does it take when you start writing a book? Because I know some writers know in advance everything. They know the suspects, the clues, the murder victim. Or some writers just have a vague idea of like a body in the library and go with that. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Paige. <laughs> Paige Which, Shelton and I. Where, where in the spectrum do you fall? I Well, interestingly, I'm a plotter. So I usually know um, who died how they died, who did it, you know, and I work backwards. When my husband and I first started dating, he was actually the one who kind of like lit, you know, made me think I could write mysteries because I was complaining. I was like, oh, I'd like to write a mystery, but it's really hard. There's like red herrings and suspects and and he was just, you know, men just always problem solve. He just cut in and he was like, just write it backwards. <laughs> so that's kind of how I outline. I outline backwards where I know what happened. Um, I know a lot. My outlines are usually about 10 pages. So you can kind of look at like each chapter as a paragraph. So I basically have, you know, Scarlet. Someone shows up at the hat shop who hires Scarlet to make hats for the wedding. 
but then I have to write it. So I have to create those characters and I have to create the conversations and I have to. So, you know, a lot of people who don't plot say, well, if I know what happens, it's boring and I don't want to do it. But for me, it's like I barely know what's happening and now I have to make it interesting. And when I'm writing, I've noticed that if I'm bored while I'm writing it, it's boring to read. <laughs> so that's kind of like if I could give writers one tip, it's like if you're bored writing it, um, throw it out, start over. You should be entertained while you're writing, I think. Or at least, you know, if you're writing a sad scene, you should be sad. If it's happy or funny, you should be laughing. Like, sometimes my jokes even I don't laugh at. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's annoying. But um, so for me, I am a plotter. But interestingly enough, in October, I have a book coming out called Sugar Plum Poison. And it's the next Cupcake Bakery, and it's a Christmas one. So I know most people know it comes out in April and May. This one's going to come out in October. And because I hadn't written, and cupcakes in Christmas just kind of felt like they would be fun. So I had this great plot, and my plot group, of which Paige and Kate Carlisle are in, we all hashed out the idea, and it was all, woohoo, this is going to be great. And then I sat down to write it, and I'm like, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't write a plot. I didn't, I was under the gun, like tick tock. The book was due, I had to get it done. So I wrote by the seat of my pants. Wow. I almost had a stroke. <laughs> the whole time I kept thinking, how do people do that? <laughs> I didn't know from page to page what would happen, you know? And I like to kind of at least, you know, when you end the day's work, I like to leave myself in a spot where I'm really excited to write the scene that's coming up. I didn't know what the scene was. I'd go to bed and be like, <laughs> can't breathe. <laughs> so it was a horrible experience and I never want to do it again. Um, but yeah, so I'm a plotter. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about authors' voices, authors' brands. You write a lot of different kinds of books. You write mysteries, you write romantic suspense, not romantic suspense, romantic comedies. That's next. <laughs> women's fiction. Um, but your voice is consistent. It doesn't matter which book you're reading by you. That's Jen on the page there. How would you describe your voice to someone who's never read you? Um, that's a really good question. Because I'm in my own head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Step outside. I think, well, you know a lot of authors. Mm -hmm. And you know me pretty well. You know, we've mm -hmm. been doing this for a long time. So when you read my books, are you hearing my voice yeah. in your head? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, because one of, one of the things I love is the humor. One of your key components is humor. Yeah, that's. I'm, I'm definitely uh, the comedy. I mean, I'm, you know, Gen X. So mom went back to work, you know, as soon as I was in school. So we were the latchkey kids. So my brother and I were raised on like, you know, we got home from school, we got snack, we went outside and, you know, harassed the neighborhood. You know, we were the kids who could run around, you know, on our own and nobody thought anything of it. And then it was back in because the homework had to be cranked out before mom showed up. But also we watched uh, um, sitcoms. So yeah. it was like the monkeys or I did Gilligan's the genie, Island. Yeah. Gilligan's Island, Bewitched, you know, all the stuff that was uh, afternoon television. So I think my formative years were just everything. Like, I can't have a problem that lasts more than 22 and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> because that is how I know how to cope. So I think the comedy is just, you know, I just grew up on it. You know, it was kind of spoon-fed. It's part of your character, though, too, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if, if, yeah, I mean, even when something really, really horrific happens, my family is usually, you know, cracking inappropriate jokes about it. <laughs> you know, get through. But, yeah. I think you're dialogue-driven. Definitely, because yeah. I never shut up. <laughs> well, yeah, but I couldn't see you writing like one of those sweeping sagas with pages of description of 
the snowflakes, five yeah. pages on a snowflake. Mm -hmm. that was, I can promise that will never happen. <laughs> what is your strength as a writer or strengths? What do you um, kind of that's, I think it is with? dialogue. Oh. I think partly um, when I was a kid, I started out as a waitress in an ice cream shop. So my friend and I figured out how you could, you know, suck down a whole scoop in one swallow. <laughs> we were really good at that in the back room. But it was my first um, working with people. And, you know, we worked, I grew up in a, a beach town in Connecticut, Niantic. And uh, our, I worked at the Friendlies. And right across the train tracks was the, the beach. So people would come in with their screaming kids. And da -da. But you started, like, observing. Like, I started watching people. And we get to the point where we would know the regulars. Like, oh, here comes mint chocolate chip. You know, <laughs> and stuff like that. And and when you start watching people, you start listening how they talk to each other. You know, like, our, we just went to Boston and we got stuck in the airport for extra. And my family was just like, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I am people watching. This is amazing. <laughs> you know? Because of COVID, it's like people watching really got shut down. So it's like I've been lacking, you know, for a couple of years. So I think um, dialogue and I think I write comedy, but I don't I mean, like I say, I grew up watching sitcoms and my family is inherently funny, but I don't know where comedy comes from. Like people will say, you know, um, how, how are you funny? Why? You know, why? Why do you think you're so funny? I don't think you're funny. All the best. Um, but I think, you know, comedy, there's certain tricks. It's like the misdirection. Like you take them one way and then you flip it around. You know, that's usually funny, especially when you're like totally setting up a scene and then it turns on them in a humorous way. Um, listening to how people talk, you know, and the little um, zingers people get in. And for example, um, my brother was the king of the dry humor. <laughs> you, could, you could just always get me. So we were in an um, uh, emergency room uh, taking care of a family member. And, you know, there's me, little little sunshine, the youngest one. And I was just like, hey, quality time with the fam. <laughs> and my brother looks at me and he's just like, you mean doing time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just that kind of like, I just grew up with that. You know, everybody in my family was like that. But so I think it's just kind of how you hear things. And, you know, if you can turn it funny, spin it around. And there's always a little bit of romance to your stories, too. Yeah, I think. A love interest or something. Yeah, kind of keeps the pages turning, mm -hmm. you know. Everybody needs, I think, a love interest, you know, even if it's only in your head. <laughs> Just, you know, don't stalk them. <laughs> uh, so Barbara's talked about what's next for you, which comes in May, yes. which is summer reading. Very excited. Um, as I was talking about it before, it is, this one came from my agent actually uh she gave me the title and nothing else and it was like thanks <laughs> no she's amazing the title she actually uh came up with the title of the plot the pendulum oh. so she's kind of our our, our go-to person for titles or uh um when you have to do back cover copies yeah she can really get in there whereas i'm kind of like well this happens and then this because it's really hard when you've written a hundred thousand words to cut it down to two paragraphs well also you don't want to reveal spoilers or yeah, anything and I'm like that someone like oh you know who did it i yeah. mean i would be the person who does that right on the cover because <laughs> you know talking problem um so she actually just sent me an email out of the blue and she said i have a, I have a title for you and i was like cool she's like summer reading i'm like oh librarian mm -hmm. if you've been a librarian in the public summer reading is a thing <laughs> takes over the whole summer it's exhausting it's brilliant but you, you know it's yeah. good and bad so 
I knew right away that a librarian had to be a character. So I thought, oh, okay, well, she'll be the librarian. And then I heard that screech of brakes in my head. <sighs> He's the librarian. You know? Because I don't feel like men in books are represented enough. I had someone say to me, um, wait, we'll come back to that. Um, and then when I thought of the female, you know, when you have a male librarian, it's like, what is the person that they wouldn't normally connect with? Well, it would be a non-reader. Mm. And then I thought, well, why is she a non-reader? And I was like, well, she's dyslexic, you know, and I have dyslexia in my family. So that was something I knew up close and personal. So then I thought, oh, now we're cooking. And then she became a chef because <laughs> <laughs> when I did a little digging, I found out that Martha's Vineyard was predominantly populated by um, Portuguese fishermen from the Azores. Mm. Well, my sister-in-law is from the Azores <laughs> and came over when she was seven and is in that Massachusetts community. So her family, you know, have just embraced my mom and I, you know, since they married, since she married my brother. And we had a session last fall where they all taught me how to cook. So it was like all the authentic Portuguese recipes, which I did put some in the book too. So, because I decided she had to be a chef. She had to be Portuguese, she had to be dyslexic, and she had to be a chef. Because as a chef, you're, you're such a visual learner. And there's so many ways to learn that you wouldn't necessarily need to like. You wouldn't get stuck on, yeah. Reading. So that was a thing. So that it just kind of, and after that, it just kind of mushroomed into just like it's probably one of my favorite books, just because mm. he rides a motorcycle. He's totally hot. Because a friend of mine said to me, she's like, male librarians are not known for being like hot, and I'm like, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's like Keanu Reeves as a librarian, hot. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and then I forgot what I was going to come back to. So whatever. Okay. <laughs> You've been writing for a while. I won't say how long because it dates both of us. Um, what changes have you seen in publishing that you kind of are reacting to as a writer? I mean, does publishing influence what you want to write? Can you kind of ignore it and just continue to do what you want? What role does it play? We are definitely, the sand is shifting. And I think, you know, people always say, um, since you've been published, you know, what if, what or what advice would you give people? Mm -hmm. And wow, it's just, you have to, the number one thing, you know, and I, and I hate it because when I was struggling to be a writer, I got hit with all the same advice. Write what you want to read, you know, and it was <laughs> like, what's that name? <laughs> just want to be published. And then, you know, things like, um, you know, don't follow the trends, be, you know, find your own voice, you know, all that stuff. And <laughs> the really frustrating thing is it's all very, very true. Um, I think self-publishing is amazing for people who are frustrated with the system, but I also think um, so much comes with being traditionally published that you just can't get when you're self-published. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like I'm in the catbird seat because I'm at a point in my career where I can publish traditionally, but I can also publish um, my own stuff. But I have to do it appropriately. I have to hire editors. I have to hire cover artists. I have to hire people who know what they're doing because I don't know how to do that. I know how to write a book, but I don't know how to edit a book. That is a skill. You want someone to do that with your work. Trust me. Um, cover artists, you know, that's what draws people in mm -hmm. the cover. I mean, we now live in you a digital like, world um, where you want to. 15 seconds, I think, to, for people to see a cover. 15 seconds. And now, now it has to fit on the phone. Yeah, it, it, has, to, to, it yeah. has to be that big, but yeah. be seeable, but be awesome. 
Like if I was a cover artist, I'd be like, no problem. <laughs> I gotcha. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I did uh, self-publish a bunch of novellas last year because the women's fiction, um, for me, I wrote to, um, and then I had kind of a, <laughs> ironically, a gap year. <laughs> that was supposed to be the name of one of the books. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I had a gap year and I just thought, wow, this world is moving really fast. You know, mm -hmm. you can't you can't tap out for a year. So I wrote the three novellas. You know, as you know, I think I've told you the story before about for, for various reasons, one of which included spite, but we won't go there today. Um, <laughs> yes, so you're, you're on camera. So. <laughs> exactly. Keep it nice, Jen. Um, but I wrote the three novellas and and then just had such a blast because I knew enough authors who could say, hire this girl as your editor, hire this person as your cover artist. So then we got to do all that. But the really interesting thing, you know, when you're an author, you write the book, you turn it into your editor, they send it back with their revisions, hopefully light ones, sometimes not. Um, you do the revisions, you turn it back in, they turn it over to the copy editor. Copy editor is the person who catches every little, and you can get some very, 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 very uptight copy editors, which is good and bad, because sometimes they don't get your voice. So I tend to make up words. If I can't find a word I want, I'll just make it up. And I get, I think I make them insane. They're like, that's not a word. I know, but it's my word, so just go with it. Ah! <laughs> I'm ripping their hair up. So then it goes to the copy edit. Then it goes to the, the page designers, and they actually design the layout of what the printed book and ebook People think ebooks are free, but are, are nothing. They they do nothing. But look at how much work is already involved in this ebook that you're buying. If it's done right. If it's done well, like yeah. in, in publishing. So then it goes to the page layout. Then it comes back to the author, and they tell you you have one more shot to find all the little typos. Blah 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 blah. But you can't. They even say on this, we've already done the page layout. It will cost us a fortune to rewrite anything in here. So this is really just boo boos and small little errors. So you're like, okay, cool, I got you. And then you go through your galleys, and then you send it in, and then it comes out. So that's a lot. And then someone finds an error on page 73. Yeah. And then yeah. someone emails you, like, you know, you used the wrong name of the wrong character. <laughs> and then you write back, and you say, thank you so much. We will catch that in the e-thing. But the print mm -hmm. book, we're never going to, like, forget it because, you know, money. So, and I do appreciate when people let me know there's a boo-boo, but, you know, really? It's like it's 100,000 words. One boo-boo? I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but as a grammatical, you know, grammar Nazi myself, I'm like, I get you, you know, that would drive me nuts too. So I feel like very fortunate, I think, and most authors I think are feeling this way where we're kind of in this like renaissance where we can publish traditionally, we can self-publish. I feel bad for the self-published authors in a way because unless you have uh, the other traditionally published option going for you, you are in a real pile of self-published. Now, that being said, we always hear about, well, she was self-published and she sold billions and she rose to the that's top. That's like less than 1%. Yeah, that's the thing. It's writers. less than 1%. There's 500,000 titles published every year. Yeah, isn't that insane? Yeah. And only 58,000 are traditionally published. Yeah. So you're looking at another, you know, 450,000 that are yeah. self. And so, you know, people are trying to be discovered. And, and then you get into things like, I think what's changed for me is social media. How many of you use social media? A little bit. Facebook? Instagram? That's how I found out you lived in Arizona. Oh, see, Instagram. Yeah. See, there you go. Um, and then TikTok is big. 
<laughs> the one person under 25. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'm under 25. Um, but I think for an author, the I think when I started, it was there wasn't self-publishing. Mm-hmm. I mean, because well, I published. It was called Vanity Press. Yeah, it was called Vanity Press, and okay. it was paper. It wasn't ebooks. Mm-hmm. I published for the first time um, romance in romance in 2001, I think. Mm-hmm. So it was about 21. <laughs> I was a child, <laughs> <laughs> but it was about 21 years ago. So it was totally different. Mm-hmm. And then everything's changed, you know, as the internet has has changed all of our lives. Um, Tricky thing right now, I think, for authors is, and I never thought this would be the problem, but so I'm working away and the scene gets hard. What's everybody doing on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram? I should promote. Oh, I should read that. Oh, let me add that to my TBR. And the next thing I know, three hours have passed. I've learned how to talk to a llama and I, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's killing me. That's really what's killing me. Production, you know, productivity wise, it's too easy when you're bored. You know, I see one of my library colleagues here, <laughs> and we used to water cooler it, remember? We'd be, like, running out to the desk, coming back in, grab a water, but we had, like, five minutes to talk. It wasn't like you could ignore the patrons coming in. You had to get your work done. Now I can sit there for two hours. <laughs> so that's problematic. But I also think the other thing is the pressure to be a presence when sometimes I have to step back and say, wait a minute, my job, and if we're using, you know, new speak, is to be a content creator. I'm creating the content of the books. That is my job. And if I'm online all day trying to, you know, freaking out because somebody else has like an Instagram takeover happening and why don't I have one or you can, you can just make yourself insane. And, um, you know, this person sold 21 million books on TikTok last year. It's like, well, Good for her. That's not how it's gonna work for like that's probably not gonna happen for me. I'm not. I mean, I'm on TikTok, but it's ridiculous. It's like oh, every week I'm like oh I, sh- I should do something, and then it's just you know. So I think the thing that's changed is the expectations um, of the public. Mm-hmm. You know, they want. I mean, there aren't many. I don't know how many of you read the Song of Achilles or mm-hmm. Circe by Madeline Miller. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I love these. She was like a high school English teacher. Um, and they're just, you know, Greek mythology, but I don't know. There's something about her writing that's just insanely accessible and they're brilliant stories. She blew up on TikTok. She's not on TikTok. And to me, that's the way it should work. Like it should be an organic thing where the readers do it. So, you know, get to work, people. <laughs> I'm not kidding. No. <laughs> Um, but I feel like that in that regard, social media works. But I feel like as an author, it's like you have a responsibility to be there or not a little bit. But your job is to, to write a better book every time you sit down to write a book. And I feel like the thing I always have to remind myself is that in a career path, it's like the job is to write the book. Mm-hmm. And the real job is to write a better book than the last book you wrote. And that's how you stay in the game, I think. Mm-hmm. That was a very long answer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was interesting because you know you become a presence in the publishing industry, at least I judge it, by when other writers want you to blurb them. And there's like every mystery book in the world has Lee Child. Lee Child says fabulous or Lee Child says stupendous. Every mm. cover. Yeah. You, you've been doing that because I've been opening romance books and Jen McKinley says fabulous. Jen McKinley, how does that work? <laughs> 
Um, uh, it's tricky, and because, you know, I, I kind of have a lot of mixed feelings about it. Um, first of all, I want to always support other authors, mm -hmm. and there's very rarely when I'm asked to read a book and endorse it that I can't find something that I like about it because I know how hard this is. Mm -hmm. I know the day in, day out. I know the tears. I know the, you know, midnight hot fudge Sunday. <laughs> I gotta get through it. Um, so usually for me, the requests will come from my agent or my editor or a publicist. Um, and they will say, hey, Jen, because you wrote this book and we love, this is what I love. <laughs> this is my favorite part. They'll do a whole paragraph on how much they love you. So, you know, like, <laughs> Keep it, yeah, keep it and you know and they'll reference your book and what they liked about it and then they'll say i have this author she's a debut author you know and her book has these same elements and we know you love humor and she's really funny and will you you know would you consider and the thing is you do make an agreement that it'll be an honest endorsement because if my name's going to get put on the cover of their book as saying jen says this is great i really want it to be great you know um so it's you know, it's an, and it's interesting, but uh, yeah, I do get a lot of requests, and it's fun. But then it's it's hard too because you know you agree well, to it, yeah. and they're like, "We need it April 1st, and it's January, and I'm like, "I got you." And then my book blows up, <laughs> I get COVID, or you know, last year I felt terrible. It was the first time I ever had to just tell people I, I can't do it, I can't. I'm so behind, and COVID just took a, took away a month, and, you know, when you're, like, when you write on pretty tight deadlines like I do, it was, like, I, I, I spent the rest of the year just trying to catch up, so all those people, I'm, like, oh, I'll, I'll do it next year. <laughs> so, it's funny, because uh, yesterday, I just got, like, three emails, like, so you said next year, and it's next year, and I'm, like, women, <laughs> so, I, I, I enjoy it, because I, I really do like supporting other authors, because I know how hard it is, but I also, um, I like also, to see how other people work. Yeah, know? also, it's, I mean, not to take anything away from what you're doing, but it's another form of marketing. Yeah, you're, if your name's your on name their book. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. That, I was going to say that. And I, forgot. I don't think Lee Child is doing it out of the goodness of his heart. But, um, yeah. yeah. It does get to be, I mean, it can get to be a lot. Like, sometimes you really have to kind of pace yourself. But yeah. I do, you know, it is, what's weird to me is, those endorsement requests come in like I'm endorsing or, you know, last year when I caught up, I started endorsing books that'll come out at the end of this year. Yes. Mm -hmm. I will have forgotten that That's, I read them yeah. and I will be in here looking at a book and going, Jen McKinley. Oh, yeah, she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get to remember that it was that there was one book that really stuck out um, that I endorsed last year that I think is coming out this spring. And I'm horrible with authors names. See, I can even endorse your book and not remember your name. Or your title. Um, where was the cover? Beige. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's beige and it has a line drawing of I think the man and the woman, and I believe it's a it's a reimagination set in Toronto, Canada of um, Romeo and Juliet. No, um, Rochester guy. Oh, Jane Eyre. Yes. Oh, I think I know which one you're yes. talking about. It's yes. brilliant. I loved it. Edmund and something. Yes, rather? Edmund and. Great. We've we got, are horrible librarians. <laughs> but I, yeah, I've, I've seen it. It is coming. And it's, yeah, it's a modern take on Jane yes, Eyre. Yes, it's a modern take on Jane Eyre. It's a beige cover. The author's brilliant. Um, it's set in Toronto. I loved it. Um, anyway, helpful. Yes. <laughs> now go to your library and say, <laughs> and the librarian will give you that look, that dead stare. <laughs>
who else have you discovered that you want to share? She was probably my most exciting. Um, I haven't been doing a lot of reading because my they're a mess. My deadlines are a mess. Mm. Um, I went to Ireland and and I'm an idiot because I thought, oh, I can write while I'm in Ireland. Well, why would you? (laughs) You know, so it was like a kid. My writing turned into taking notes on what the Irish people said because oh, I'm gonna use that in the book. Yeah, that was great. You know, so it was just dumb. And um, and then my nephew got married. Congratulations, Phoenix and Bailey. Beautiful wedding. And uh, I thought I would write during the wedding. Like, not at the wedding, you know. I'm not that crazy. But I thought, oh, we're there for a week. Well, no, no. Instead, you were making no. bouquets. Yes. I was doing centerpieces and then, you know, eating and making merry. And that's making merry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I messed up my deadline. So I haven't read that much. Um, on my, I'm, I'm going to jump on the Oseman. Train Richard Oseman. Oh, oh. so that's he's sitting. My husband keeps reminding me all three of those are on your nightstand. All three of those, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I'm also trying to read some Irish. So I have um, Carly O'Connor. If anybody's read the Irish cozy series, I'm, mm-hmm. she's on my my uh, nightstand also. Mm-hmm. So I want to kind of get into that Irish mindset when I finally finish that book someday. Should we take questions? Yeah, from there are any. If I haven't worn you out. <laughs> <laughs> So with your writing schedule of three series and some other things, how do you find time to read someone else's books? Um, well, what's hilarious about that is usually I'm writing, 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 and I have a file on my desktop. And in it, I because they usually send me e-copies because they we don't do ARC so much, you know, save some trees. And I'm all good with that. So I um, the minute someone asks and I accept and they send me the PDF, I put it in a file that's books to read, you know, and then I date them. <laughs> so every week I go in, is there anything this week? No, okay. And then, <laughs> oh, that's due in two days. And that's what I do. I just sit there and read the book and I'll read it in like a day or two and then I'll write my endorsement. Send it. And then I go back to my work because I can't seem to get it together enough <laughs> to read. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I was the kid. This is why, for those of you who are parents who have kids that you don't feel are like shining, I was the kid who would, and this was back in the you know 80s when you could do this. I think my English class was fifth period, and I would have to write something, and I would go to the library, and I had a study carol in the back corner that the librarian never checked. It was lazy. <laughs> And I would skip all first four periods, and I would sit there and write, having not read any of the books, but just having them stacked there, and then just open. I need a quote. I need a quote. Yeah, that. Type it in. Bang. And then I would turn it in, and I I would get an A. So this is how I knew I was a fiction writer. (laughs) But anyway, yeah. So I'm pretty. I'm pretty good at the eleventh hour. Hail Mary. Yeah. <laughs> Other questions for Tim? When you do have time to leisurely read for enjoyment, mm. what types of genres do you like to read? Do you read mysteries and cozies, or are you? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I read my plot group so I can keep up with them, make sure they're gonna on task. So I read Paige Shelton and Kate Carlyle always and forever. And I read, what I do tend to do when I'm writing a romance is when I read mysteries. And when I'm writing a mystery, I tend to read romance because I don't want, I can be pretty influenced by other people's voices. And some author voices are much stronger than others. 
you know, and you don't want to start sounding like another author. So I find if I separate the genre, I'm better that way. But I'm really kind of into, um, I've always loved YA. So I'm kind of doubling back to that. Did anybody else watch Wednesday? <laughs> See, I tell you, I'm really, I'm really Gen Z or something. <laughs> there we go. It was a great show. You should all watch it. It was fun. But I'm kind of getting into like a gothic suspense. I'm getting into a darker. That is the trend. Yeah. I'm get, well, and I just, I, I don't know if it's just the fallout from the pandemic and like during the pandemic, we couldn't deal with it. So now we're doubling. I don't know. I hear paranormal's coming back. I don't it know. It is. But I do read paranormal. Yeah. I love science fiction, fantasy. I love mystery. I love all genre. I don't read much um, literary, but then I out myself as reading Song of Achilles and Circe's, which were definitely literary, but awesome. So, I mean, I'm a big liar, so I pretty much read anything. You know, mostly if you come up to me and say, this was the best book, I'm like, oh, I'll read it. I trust other readers more, more than anything. Way back. Yes. Yes. What was the author again? Uh, Melody Edwards. Melody Edwards. Jane and Edward. See, now That's we know. It. I have Edward. I have yeah, you got that. Yeah. Yeah. You would think I would have gotten Jane because it was like you know Jane Eyre, but no. <laughs> it was it was really good. I really loved it. See, I did it. It's beige, mostly beige. <laughs> Throughout the cover, it is beige. I'm like the worst patron ever. Remember? It was a green book. It was like this big. It was about my health. And you'd be like, okay. <laughs> if there's no more questions, up. Oh. We were listening to NPR this morning on the doing errands. And, um, they were talking a lot about the ebooks and yes. library and how much authors are not making on library books versus the printed books and, mm -hmm. and all of that. And your background as a librarian and now being an author on the flip side of wanting the revenue from that. Like, where do you feel about where that all comes out in a library? Everyone should be able to read something versus now you're a published author and I know like the paycheck. Uh, yeah it's, you know what I think what people don't realize and, and this is where I kind of stand first of all two kids in college so library user <laughs> but and I have author friends that are just like no you have to buy every book and you know on the on the upside I, anything I buy I can write off as an expense because it's in the business so but here's the thing that I think most people don't understand and I would love to talk to the NPR people because they're wrong. Mm -hmm. um, perfect example. I was looking at my numbers the other day because I, being self-published, I can now see where I'm selling. To, like, I can get more information. I love my publisher, but they hire people to do that stuff. So I never really get to see the nuts and bolts. So this is why it is kind of like a perfect spot for writers right now to have a little bit in both because you can get, you can look behind the curtain. So I looked behind the curtain the other day and mostly you hear... Amazon, Amazon, ebooks, that's where all the money is. Everybody's doing Kindle Unlimited, blah, 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 blah. It's definitely an income stream for sure. When I set out to do it, it wasn't about profit. Like I said, I'm not kidding. It really was about spite. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was basically told that I couldn't do it. So, of course, I had to and proved that I could because I'm a child. Anyway, moving on. Um, I looked at the numbers and this was really interesting to me. Amazon and Overdrive which is where you can download ebooks through libraries were the same. 
And we're talking in the thousands for earnings for me, for the three novellas. And I thought, that's pretty incredible. And you don't hear about that. So I would love to know where those are because I would take them on. <laughs> it's like, where are you getting your numbers? Um, I did very well at Amazon. Overdrive matched, which was sh which was actually shocking to me, because I you, because we're always told you know libraries are not making money for authors. It's like well I beg to differ. And then Barnes and Noble came in a solid third. And then there was another. There's a lot of other like Kobo and other Apple books and stuff that kind of wandered in late <clears throat> to the party. But it was really fascinating to me because the other thing people forget is that. Um, there are more libraries in the United States than McDonald's. I know, people are always shocked. And here's the thing. <laughs> We're doing okay. We're doing okay, people. And here's the thing. When I don't know, other library users, when I go into a library, I'm browsing. But if I find you and I like you, You're I'm coming to the pen and I'm buying everything you ever wrote. So for me, it's like, I feel like libraries and bookstores are a, a cooperative. And I feel like the profit point for authors at a library is tremendous. And I, d people don't realize, okay, I'll tell one more story and then I swear I'll shut up. <laughs> but when my first hardcover library came out, it didn't do as well as the publisher wanted. And um, it was a very, this is where life just mocks you sometimes. My dad was dying. My first hardcover had come out. The publisher called me and said, yeah, we're not going to publish you in hardcover anymore because you didn't do as well as we thought you should have. And I'm like, I'm kind of busy at my dad's deathbed, but it's cool. You know, thanks for the call. And then the next call, like 10 minutes later, was disregard that previous call because the book, the, the publisher has a devoted arm to selling to libraries. Mm -hmm. They want their books in libraries because they know that thing that people are going to browse and see you and become a fan. And it's a billion dollar industry. If there's that many libraries in the country, the math is pretty clear. So then the next call was, no, 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 no. The, li the library sellers are determined to keep you in hardcover because that's where you belong in the libraries in hardcover. Please forget about that previous call. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but it, it was one of the first times I really got to see like how much is going on in publishing that the authors who are just kind of like content creating don't know about. And part of it is there's huge profit for authors. And this is, oh God, I'm almost like we need to show off the camera, but I'll just, I'll just forge ahead blindly like a moron. Um, I think this is your viral moment. <laughs> Um, this is why when you publish exclusively with someone maybe named after a jungle, um, you're not going to get into the libraries mm -hmm. and that's where you're going to get found. So while there's a lot of perks to being published in that one arm, you're also missing other things. So that, that would be my observation. Was that vague enough to not get me in trouble? I think you, I think you were good. <laughs> I also think you probably would want to add to there's some misperception about when libraries buy digital copies it's not like they buy it once there's a limited number of users so you exactly get, you get so, the right yeah they said originally it was you know you'd buy so many lending so like you would buy a copy of a book and get 22 lendings out of it mm -hmm. and then some books weren't generating enough of that quickly enough. And so then it became, well, this time frame, regardless of how many times it's been lent. Right. They were talking about the pros and cons of that uh, kind of different. And then the, just like anywhere, the, the wait list 
you know, if they only buy this many copies, it's generating even buzz because then you have to sit on the wait list and then you see all these. Then you want more. <laughs> and then, you know, the, there's the, the movie versus then it comes out in rental. You have to go see it in the theater. So then the delay of upping copies later. Mm -hmm. um, that was sort of their whole whole take on that. It was very no, and they're right, and it's it, it's changing. I mean, it's mm -hmm. constantly changing. Like Overdrive um, were the that's the statistics I had, but now I think they're changing to Libby, which is a yeah. new system. Overdrive so that's changing. Yeah, which it's, is you know. In fact, I think it's the beginning of this year. Is it? Uh, I volunteered at the library, and, and we're telling everybody that get ready. They, they have to download. I'm so glad the I don't work in the library anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think ebooks are tremendous, and I feel like um, I do feel like libraries and publishing can cooperate. I mean, I know well, some, some publishers have really great marketing arms, like HarperCollins. Mm -hmm. um, so it just depends on the publisher. It really does, and it depends on you know. And that's the other thing too uh, for um, pro. And I didn't. I just thought of this when we were talking about it. Part of the reason I probably did well um, with Overdrive in libraries is because I am traditionally published. So library users would go in and see this rando novella and be like when did she do that i don't know um so they would you know download it but the other thing is on my end because i did um self-publish with amazon but i also published with a company called draft to digital and because they just made it really easy and i'm like super lazy so that was like yeah. um i could set the price for libraries so i set that because i was a former librarian they were like, well, the standard library price is this. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And we cut it in half. I'm like, I'm not going to charge libraries more than I'm going to charge, you know, a regular person. Yeah. So I dropped the cost of overdrive because I could, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. So that could be why I did well, too. I don't know. Just a theory. Well, you're also an established presence. I yeah. mean, there's lots of different factors. Before we, because we should wrap up so people can get their books signed. The self-published novellas, you're putting them out yourself, correct? I did. And then... Um, Can the uh, bookstore get copies of the print edition? Only in the work? omnibus. We did print. We, I put all three of them in one because I do try to save so three. So eventually we could possibly have a few here at the bookstore. Yes. Yes. They, okay. You could order it through the Poison Pen because it does have... It's, For those of us that don't like Ingram. the jungle yeah. company that sells things. <laughs> <laughs> you can order those from the Poison Pen. It's called Booked. And it's the three novellas all in one. And a lot of people are like, oh, I want each novella. And I was like, oh, but the cover of the omnibus is so cool. <laughs> you want that one, trust me. And also, it's like, I see a lot of authors will put out in paper novellas. And the tree hugger in me just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't. I'm like, no, it has to be a significant book size book for me to actually commit it to paper. So so it's there. And it was for people who don't like ebooks. I mean, I probably would have just kept them as ebooks, but enough people were like, I need it in paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to do that. But so yeah, but order it through the pen for sure. I'll get into the system. I want to thank Jen for taking time to come back to the poison pen. You're always amazing. Oh, um, thank you. Thank everyone here for. Oh wait. Oh yes. Apparently, oh we're supposed to do a raffle. Thank you, Paige. <laughs> so apparently, Paige is like, I got a number. <laughs> you could have just taken it home, Paige, and no one would have known. <laughs> Too late now. Cool. Nine. Me. Excellent. Uh oh, there's two nines. Oh, one's a oh, six. No, one's... We got two nines. You're gonna have to fight for it. Rock, paper, scissors? No. Oh, you're very sweet. Oh.
Oh, that, um, huh? did you look to make sure there's... This is from Jen, not from me. Oh. <laughs> Jen. Mostly Jen. Who won? Lady Yes, yes. No, thank you, Paige. Yeah. Wave to the camera, Paige. Far from, Hello. <laughs> far from, from the pen yeah. drop those offices. Thank you, Paige. <laughs> You're the best. Um, so we're, we've come to an end. Well, thank, we've thanked everyone. We've done the raffle. Right, I'm did we forget together. anything? Uh, we need to have you sign books. So we're going to have people, as they stand up, if you'll fold up your chairs and put them to the side, we'll keep you up here to sign. We've I'll got books in the back if you need more copies. Thank, thank you. you all for coming. I appreciate it. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them and your help would be appreciated, please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.